0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the DFS Today podcast. I'm your host Keith Cork, and I am super duper excited here to have our first strategy session uh of the year here with Mr. Greg Ehrenberg, who is the director of DFS Content at Stochastic. Greg, how are you man? Welcome to the show. Um happy to have you. Can you just like kind of briefly do, you know, just kind of introduce yourself and let us know, you know, what your background is with uh, DFS and and basketball in general this is more of a basketball uh for our our podcast
1: yeah uh i started playing dfs full-time i don't even know how long ago i guess like seven years ago and totally not by design just one thing led to another so i mean my total background is that i started doing stand-up comedy right out of college and then got sick wasn't able to do it anymore and just by not having anything else to do i started playing a lot of dfs Realized I could make money doing it. And then I started writing a bunch of blog posts over at Basketball Monster and just engaging with a lot of people once again, because I'd have other things to do and just kind of led to job opportunities. And then I was already playing DFS. So one thing kind of led to another. Nothing was planned.
0: Yeah. Um, And and you're a hilarious Twitter follower. I know I was talking a little bit before we hopped on here. So if you guys don't follow Greg on Twitter, um, you want to give us your your Twitter handle there, Greg, so we can get you uh, some followers, hopefully
1: at g ehrenberg d f s my last name yeah. is uh e h r e n b e r g
0: yeah it's uh you, you've got some really funny takes man so I, I always appreciate it um but let's get down to it man i mean you know people want to know uh basically just some some general strategy questions here about DFS and like I said we do we're gonna stick with basketball because it is the basketball season that's what my specialty is I, I play DFS basketball uh, NBA but I don't really play a whole lot of other sports but um this this episode we're going to focus on gpps versus cash builds and just kind of what the difference is between those and like you know what the different strategies entail and like you know who were who we're shooting to, to roster on the, in those different contests so um I mean, just starting off, I mean, Greg, you know, say I'm Joshmo coming off the street, and I've never played DFS before, a brand new player, don't really have a lot of knowledge, you know, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm signed up as Stochastic, I'm, uh, you know, with the Sports Ethos DFS team, I'm getting all the, the plays that I need, but, you know, what's smarter for me to do? Is it smarter for me to go in and join a bunch of, you know, GPPs and, and put a bunch of lineups out there, or is it smarter for me to get, a you know, cash... Uh, A cash uh, build, uh, a cash uh, contest out there?
1: Yeah. So for everybody, it's going to depend on what your goals are and what your bankroll is. But if somebody's just starting and assume that they have a very, very limited bankroll, like $10, $20, which by the way, I started playing literally with $20 when I was in college. And I went from $20 and playing a dollar a day to playing for $2 a day to $5 a day. And then eventually it grew that $20 to a bankroll that was, you know, worth hundreds thousands of dollars. And then I was playing for a lot more money. So it's very viable to grind up from a very, very small spot. And what you should do is you should play in the softest fields possible, which to me, the softest things possible are there's like, on FanDuel and DraftKings now, there are 10 cent contests, there are 5 cent contests. You want to play as many of those contests and as many lineups as possible, because that's going to be the softest competition is those those tournaments that are like just micro, micro level buy-ins, that's where the cash line is going to be the lowest. And then also, you have the opportunity in some of those contests to, to go and enter them and potentially, even though the returns are obviously going to be small, you could 3, 4x your money on a decent day. Whereas in some of the cash games that, that you're talking about, number one, very frequently now, cash game contests have higher min cash lines than tournaments do. And that didn't used to be the case. It kind of is now, though. And you're just going to find the softest fields possible with also uh, upside, at least ROI upside at those like really, really micro stakes.
0: See, that's really interesting because I remember, I mean, I started playing DFS basically when FanDuel started, right? And that was uh, quite a bit ago. And that's kind of like the opposite of what I remember hearing back then. It was like, oh, you should definitely grind by playing cash and try and do, you know, win uh, not even twice your money just a little bit less than twice your money uh i more than you know 50 of, of the days and that's how you're really going to grind and, get, and grow your bankroll but uh but you're saying that like the the money line right now in these soft entries or the soft field gpps where it's you know very low stakes that's actually more it's more attain, obtainable for a new player than the cash uh cashing in a, in a cash game
1: yeah and, and the lowest buy-ins possible and then you just go from there so Let's say, for instance, you had just making up numbers, you had a dollar to play with, right? So DraftKings has the dime time entries, which are 10 cents to buy in. And once again, this is just super, super small stakes, but you'd be better off entering 10 lineups in the 10 cent contest than entering one
0: lineup in a $1 contest. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and eSports app for player props. With Thrive, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus only on the top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Choose 10 out of the 20 available player props to build your lineup. Each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under, based on how likely it is to hit. Hit the most props and rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has over $200,000 guaranteed in prizes weekly. Use promo code ETHOS when you sign up today and you will receive a 100% deposit match bonus up to $250. Download the Thrive Fantasy app on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website www.thrivefantasy.com Sign up and prop up today. Interesting. And uh, speaking of that i mean you know in those 10 cent line in those 10 cent uh, 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 tournaments those are often where you know you can have 150 200 lineups things like that so if you're just doing 10 lineups um, i mean that puts you at a disadvantage right or is that still i mean is that still viable if that if that's all you're playing with
1: uh, what do you, what do you, uh
0: what do you mean so like you know those 10 cent uh tournaments when you're talking about a big gpp tournament um usually you can get uh your max entries right your max entries could be 20 30 40 even up to 150 max entries and those things so do you want to max out your entries if you if possible and i mean if you aren't maxing out your entries does that put you at a severe disadvantage
1: no no not at all and i mean the other thing too you could play if you want to just play a really high floor so if you had a cash type lineup that just has a high floor, you're not really trying to make any ownership pivots or anything like that. I think you could play the same lineup 10 times as if it's a cash game and you're just going to have a higher expected ROI on that 10 cent contest than if you were playing in a even even like a two or one or three dollar cash game of 50 50 over on DraftKings. just because the lower the buy in anything is in general, we should just assume that it's going to be the softest field.
0: That's interesting. That is interesting. Um, So when we were talking a little bit about, you know, you're talking a little bit about, you know, if you have a dollar and you do 10, 10 cent lineup, so a little bit about, you know, bankroll management here. And like, you know, I know for our wagering division, we often suggest you break up whatever amount of money you're willing to lose or you know willing to put into this thing and you break it up into either 50 or a hundred bets. And then you those are your units, right? And so you put those units into uh, a wagers and then you're, you're kind of protected. If a wager loses, then you don't lose your entire bankroll, obviously. So is that the same? Like, do you use that, do you use that same concept in DFS? You said, I mean, you were giving, giving as an example, if someone has a dollar, they can put 10, 10 cent lineups in. That's using your whole bankroll. I mean, if you end up having a, an injury or something, uh, I mean, it's not going to bankrupt you. It's a dollar, obviously. But um, is it smarter to, you know, have everything... We, have your whole bankroll in a contest working for you or to break it up like we do in that wagering division, like I described.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the, I think it's really hard to apply a rule. Like there's all these weird rules people put out that I don't really understand why they exist. Like there was a point in time where people used to say play, I think it was 80% of your exposure in cash games and 20% GPPs. And that was just something people parroted, but I, there was never a reason why. It was just, this is what people say you do. So other people say you do. And it always, it always kind of seemed dumb to me because mm-hmm. I also don't think that every slate should be the same, right? So certain lineups, like today, for instance, we're recording this on a Thursday night. There's two NBA games. The way I'm going to approach a two-game NBA slate is wildly different from one where I'm going to approach a six or seven-game NBA slate in terms of how high variance my lineups are going to be, how many lineups I'm willing to play. So that's also other things that come into play. But I, I also think in terms of what you want to put at stake, it's just never anything more than you're willing to lose, obviously, and not money you need. But I don't think it should be some certain thing where it's like, oh, you should never play more than 2% or 4% of your bankroll. Because also, what, what even what, what is your bankroll, right? Because is it just the money you have in your DraftKings account? But do you have extra money that you'd be willing to also play that You would consider to be part of it because to me, I just view gambling and DFS. To me, it's just an investment, right? This is how I. This is my primary source of income. So if I think there's a good opportunity to make money, I'm going to put as much money on it as I possibly can. It's. I don't know if there's like a specific number. It's like this is the number you should play. Other than it shouldn't be money that you can't lose.
0: Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with that part, and and that is interesting. Yeah, because like I said, you know. And I don't think it's bad um, to have a limit. I don't think, you know, it's like I'm going to play a certain percentage of my bank role. Um, but if you do feel strongly about something and, you know, you want to put extra money in, it's really stupid. I think is what you're talking about. Like, you know, it's really stupid to, to limit yourself if you're really excited or you, you see a really big opportunity. Because why would you limit yourself if you know, from winning more money just because, oh, I have this limit that I'm imposing upon myself. So. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I get that. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but speaking of, you said, you know, you were saying that at some at one point it was like, you know, people were parroting 80% GPPs, 20% cash, whatever it was. And that was something that I tried to do a couple of years ago, um, you know, mildly successful. It just, my, and I was playing with a, a very little mom on it. Basically, you know, I would be playing cash games and trying to get like a 55 percent, 60 percent win rate somewhere in there in order to cover my buy-ins for gpps and i think that i mean i don't know is that a viable strategy or is that just, was that just like stupid of me i don't know it, it just seemed like in my head i was like you know if i can bank on you know 55 percent return on this x amount of money um you know then i can play this amount in GPPs, and I'm going to throw that out there, and just basically, I'm I'm bankrolling my GPP plays and hoping I hit on those GPPs. Is that? I mean, it seemed brilliant to me at the time, but like, tell me I'm stupid. Like, am I stupid, Greg?
1: <laughs> so th- the reason to me it doesn't make sense is because I just the the and I I'd, I'd have to look because I don't play cash games for for basketball anymore. But I also think that if you were to look at the cash lines, at least when I was playing them, this the the tournament cash lines were generally lower than the cash game cash line. So to me, it never made sense to play in those cash games. You could play a cash game lineup or what you consider to be a really safe lineup in one of those, like I said, a low-dollar GPP if you're just starting out and consider it that it's like a cash game. But there's, to me, no reason to generally play the big 50-50s or double-ups on DraftKings or FanDuel because you're better off just playing in cheap tournaments against softer fields we're number one, the cash line is often lower. And then number two, you're not limited to only making, you know, 50 per to, to making double your money, you could potentially make 2x your money, or you could potentially make 3x as opposed to 2x or 4x, which to me, there's not only
0: a comparable floor, but the ceiling is a lot higher. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Definitely. Um, so speaking of that, though, you know, you're talking about the cash line in those GPPs, and, you know, generally being lower than the, than the cash line in the cash game. But, where you know, obviously one of the factors that we have when we're determining that is, you know, how many games are out there. There's more games in general. Um, there's going to be higher scores. I mean, maybe that's not a good hard and fast rule because you can have smaller slates with, with high scores when you have injuries and people, you know, obviously that are low salary uh, that are going to be having a, an expanded role. But, I mean, how do you determine, you know, is there like a score you have in mind that you want to get? And is that how you when you go about building your lineups, are you saying, you know, hey, I want to achieve a 320 on this slate or a 270 on this slate? And, you know, I'm going to put these guys in because I have this guy slated for this amount of, of points I have this guy, slated for this amount of points as a floor. Um, is that, you know, generally how how your mind works when you're putting together these lineups or is it more so you just think you're just looking for guys with opportunity?
1: Yeah. So the, the reason that, cause they used to be a really popular thing to be like, Oh, you want your lineup to score 300 points. No, I want my line to score as many points as possible. And it's also relative to the slate, right? So let's say we have a day where it's, it's Thursday right now. We just found out that Kyrie Irving is out, right? Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant now in all likelihood, I haven't done my projections yet for tomorrow. I haven't looked at ownership, but it stands to reason. Kevin Durant is going to be super popular tomorrow. The, whatever the cash line is or whatever lineups mostly end up scoring, is going to be very much tied into how well Kevin Durant does, for instance, if he's really popular. So if he is 80% owned and he scores 70 fantasy points, the cash line is going to be way higher. If he's 80% owned and scores 20 fantasy points or he gets in foul trouble or gets hurt, the cash line is going to be way lower. I'm just trying to play the players that I think are the best for a number of reasons. They could project really well for me, or it could be somebody who we have projected to be really low-owned that I think is going underrepresented in tournaments. So I'm trying to play the players that I think are the best plays based on my projections and some other variables. There's no point where I'm like, Oh, I'm going to play this lineup because I, because I, I think it's going to score the 280 points or whatever, whatever arbitrary number that I come up with. I want to play whoever's the best play for any individual slate.
0: So a situation like that, obviously where, you know, Kyrie's going to be out and you know, I mean, Let's not talk about that. That's obviously the worst thing in the world. So I, I absolutely hate Kyrie at the moment. But um, you know, Kyrie's out, so Kevin Durant's going to have high ownership. You know, um, obviously we can project that. That's that's like an obvious one. But like you know, say there's slates where there aren't really any injuries out there. There isn't really any indication that um, you know, there's not a clear indication that one guy's going to be highly owned over another. You know, how how do you go about trying to project? Like you know, say you've got. Three or four guys in that nine five to ten five range, and those are the top four guys on the slate. You know how do how do you know who's going to be the one out of those four that's going to be the most highly owned?
1: Uh, so we have an algorithm over at Stochastic that we use to project what ownership is going to be, and that's just what I'm going off of. It's not anything. It's it's not like I'm doing guesswork or anything. It's literally I'm just looking at the data on the site and I'm saying, oh, okay, this this play which. Also, could be a decision point, right? Large field tournaments, you, you just use an example, four guys that are $9,500 to make up a number. If I have all of them projected for the exact same amount of fantasy points, but one guy is projected to be way less popular in tournaments, the one is the less popular is the one that I'm going to gravitate towards. But yeah, the, the way that I'm, I'm figuring out ownership is as simple as I, I look at the projections we have <laughs> on our site.
0: Hey, that's that's fair. That's fair. And uh, something we're working at sports ethos to to bring to our people, but uh, don't quite have it yet. But that is a good tool to have, obviously. uh, And that is helpful. So um, so, you know, we don't talk I don't think we talk enough about, though, like how much, you know, in my experience and maybe I'm you know, maybe I'm just not a good player yet. But, you know, in my experience, you know, when you're putting these GPP lineups together, um, you know, you say that money line, the money line is not too like it's attainable. Right. But I'm finding that um, there's a lot of losing. There's a lot of like, you know, just just days and, and maybe even weeks where I'm not hitting like I might hit some the money line on like half of my lineups or something like that. But I'm not really, you know, making those money. So is that something that you have to be prepared for when you're playing GPPs? Um, or just, I guess, DFS in general, since that's really like play now.
1: Oh, yeah, you're going to lose all the time. And it's funny, too, because you could have – I had a I had a, a base – how many years ago was it? I want to say three years ago where I was having a terrible baseball season. It was the worst baseball season I'd ever had to that point. And then I had – and I was getting my ass kicked almost, almost nightly. And then I had one slate where Aaron Nola was the most popular pitcher of the day and I know we're talking about basketball, just using this. As
0: an <laughs> That's okay. Though. That's fine.
1: And yeah. Aaron Noah was the most popular pitcher of the day. I stacked against him really heavily. And I had something like 16 of the top 20 lineups on FanDuel and made a whole bunch of money that day. And just like that, it was then my best baseball season that I had ever had to that point. So, But there's also a whole lot of variants and a lot of things in tournaments. You, you, If you're playing for the most ceiling as possible, which I'm often doing and taking risks, there's different ways to play. I'm going to generally try to play for first on a lot of slates. Is, you're going to lose a lot on the individual days, but you want when you win to be really significant and pay off. But mm. that that's also when I'm playing some lineups where, you know, if, if I'm playing 150 lineups in the $15 over on DraftKings, that's also a much more difficult line, uh, much more difficult tournament to turn a profit in than say the, the $4 tournament or, or 25 cent tournament.
0: How do you manage uh, 150 different lineups? How do you manage that as you get closer to a tip and all this news is breaking? Uh, Because I really personally, I only do the ones that are like up to 20 lineups because I feel like that's manageable for me. But like, you know, the last hour, sometimes you get news in there that is just like, you know, you need to swap out like two, three guys because it's like really, really late breaking news. So how do you manage that with 150 lineups?
1: So also, have you ever seen any of the shows I've done? Because not only am I doing, not only am I managing lineups, usually with Eric Lindquist who I do shows with, but I'm usually hosting a show. I'm doing ad reads. I'm answering customer questions, super chats with a lot of people watching. So I'm also doing that while I'm doing lineup. So a lot of it is just innate. I've been doing it for so long. It's just kind of something that I'm used to doing. But for me, I use Fantasy Cruncher. We have a deal with them over at Stochastic. And that's what I use as my lineup builder. So I have my, my projections get uploaded into there. And then, and also we have our, we also have site projections over at Stochastic, but so I have all my data loaded into the lineup builder. Somebody gets ruled out. I'm making tweaks, doing it as quickly as I can, building lineups. But in general, I mean, to actually build the 150 lineups in Fantasy Cruncher takes, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds. It's just, it's just a matter of updating my data, my information, and then rerunning the lineups while also hosting and managing a show and whatnot.
0: Yeah, Uh, and I have seen it, but just just for the you know the uh, oh you don't have to. By
1: the way, you don't have to watch it. I don't. It it makes no no, no no difference to me. No, no, no. I was just
0: saying for the benefit of people that may not have seen it. But you know, it's it is impressive. Um, and and it is a lot to manage. But yeah, if you do have the right tools and everything, it does make it a lot easier. Obviously. So, uh, so I'm I'm reading. I'm reading into this conversation that I need to uh, upgrade my tools quite a bit. Um, but no, uh, this is all good. When do you? So when do you decide? And you talked about it a little bit before you know, when do you decide that you're going to do um, like a hard pivot on somebody that's going to have high ownership? Is that something that's more of like a gut feel? Or is that something where, uh, you know, where you, obviously there's some edge that you're seeing. And I don't know if that's just something that comes as like an innate ability or if it's something that is something that, you know, you see in data.
1: Yeah, it's data. So we have simulations that we run and it's, it's basically like, all right, based on these simulations we have, this player is X percent owned, and they're expected to be in optimal lineups X percentage of time. So obviously, nothing is 100 percent perfect. But by and large, part I'm going off information like that and simulations, and it's and it's showing me based on that, like okay, this player is you know certain percent owned. These are the odds of being in the optimal lineup, and that'll give me a rough idea of what a more proper ownership of players should be. Now, there's other factors at play as well, right? If somebody is a Min price, like somebody last year, for instance, Jokic just ruled out DeMarcus Cousins is starting at center at a minimum salary. There's a pretty good chance that type of player is going to be in all of my lineups. And that's just a lock piece and I'm building around that. But to answer the question, as you first proposed it, that's generally what I'm doing. I'm looking at also just data tools on our website that are showing me based on our simulations, which players are over or under owned. And I'm making some decisions based on that as well.
0: And when you're, you know, making these lineups, you're deciding who to pivot from, and you know that's going to make your, your lineup unique. Um, or you know, you're deciding whether or not to pivot. If you do pivot, you know, is it smart for you to do, you know, more than one pivot, or do you just stick with one? I'm, we're talking about a slate where there's going to be a guy that has high ownership, and you've already made the decision that you're going to pivot. You know, is this is this? I mean, maybe there's two guys out there that are going to have high ownership. Is it? I mean, does it come down? Is there like a number you have in your mind, or, or how do you decide? You know how, how are you going to differentiate your lineup? I guess that's my question there.
1: Yeah, so not all of the Chalky players are equal, right? Because sometimes somebody could be 50% owned and our data might say they should be 70% owned. Sometimes somebody will be 50% owned and our data will say, oh, this guy should actually only be 20% owned. And a lot of it, it will be a matter too of maybe I'm just projecting players a lot differently than a lot of the other field is. for For whatever reason, I might think, that somebody's going to play less minutes than other players. Or or it could be something like, oh, X player's out. I think this guy's going to have a lot of usage. And maybe a lot of other people are projecting a different player on the team to end up picking up the usage when there's a key player out for a team. But there there's not one ownership number where it's like this is too much or this is too little. It, it's just it's a case by case basis.
0: Gotcha. And when you're talking about Leno, you know, like um this guy's over or under. Uh, owned, Obviously, you know, there's probably a lot of numbers that go into that and a lot of data that goes into that. Um, so I don't want to like, there's no way we're going to have time to go through all of it. But obviously, you know, one of the things I'm looking for, and I'm just, you know, handcrafting my lineups, you know, just looking at at, at, at like uh, game totals. I'm looking at the pace. I'm looking at a previous, you know, obviously everyone looks at how someone previously did against this team or how they've done their last, you know, 5, 10 games. I actually things don't care made. about that at all, by the way. No, I, yeah, and I, and I get that. And I understand. I, I try not to rely on it too heavily, but, um, but yeah, I get that. Um, but you know, aside from that, I mean, like, you know, is there other factors that, um, make a game environment something like that you want to target that game or that player more heavily? Like, is there, you know, obviously there's the game total that you got from Vegas, you've got the pace of both teams. Like, are those things that you're keeping in mind when you're saying, Hey, I'm going to take X player over Y player?
1: So it's built into projections. Right. Mm-hmm. So any any time that there's a game total, teams are expected to score a certain amount, games expected to be at a high pace. That's going to be incorporated into player projections. But then also in terms of what I'm using to making deci- making decisions off of, it's really largely based off projections, player projections, ownership projections. I don't really care if somebody sucked their last game. You know what I care? If somebody here's where I care if somebody sucked the last game. If somebody was bad last game and it means that the field isn't rostering them today. Then it makes Mm. me like them more. Other than that, though, basketball is fairly easy to predict relative to other sports. So and by that, I mean that Nikola Jokic is generally going to score somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 fantasy points most nights for DraftKings purposes, like give or take That's somewhere around what he averages a a hitter in in baseball, for instance, like Mike Trout. He's going to have games where it's like zero, 20, 10, eight, and it's going to be all over the place right? The, the standard deviation on his scores is just going to be wildly different from something like basketball. Same for football. It's very touchdown dependent. And guys, game logs are very, very highly variant. For basketball purposes, though, you're generally going to be getting close to about the same production every game as long as the situation remains static. Where things start to change, and this is where there's value that opens up in basketball, is if a player is ruled out. Or if a guy's role changes, which could also be a a result of a player getting ruled out. But we were talking about the Kyrie Irving thing. He's not going to play tomorrow. Kevin Durant now is underpriced because he is now going to see larger usage. He's going to have the ball in his hands. more. He's going to have more shot attempts. But that's not incorporated into the pricing algorithm because number one, the pricing already came out before the Kyrie Irving news broke. And then also point two is that generally the players are priced for whatever their average production is in recent games and then when a situation arises where all of a sudden their role changes they're not priced appropriately so that's really where guys are going to stand out the most from a projection standpoint
0: and you hear this uh you hear this a lot greg in in dfs websites and everything like that where you hear like a stars and scrubs build right so like you know it is that something like? Do you prescribe to? Is, I mean, I guess it, it's probably. I know, probably already know your answer to this, but I'll, I'll ask the question anyways. It's probably depending on the slate, right? If you have a lot of scrubs that you're confident in, uh, that they're going to be producing above, you know, above what they're priced at, then you probably go stars and scrubs at that point. But I mean, is this something that you find yourself leaning and heavily uh, leaning into heavily, or is that something, or you do? You, more so, I mean, it's got to be dependent on, on what the slate looks like, right? I mean, that's got to be your answer.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, also, I mean, there's going to be some days. And by the way, sometimes it's funny because we had a slate. Uh, what was it? Tuesday this week. There was one day where there was a four game slate where a ton of players got rolled out. And there was a whole bunch of cheap value to roster. And then yeah. there was a 10 game slate the next day where not a lot of guys got ruled out or a 10 game slate the day before. So there ended up being a day where there was one one slate with two and a half X the games that had way less value than the four games. Like actually I think that might've been last week, but it's neither here nor there, but still it's, it's going to be dependent on how many players get ruled out typically on any given slate. And that's, what's going to make it easier to pay up for, for stars. Also, sometimes there's going to be some smaller slates where there just aren't stars that that are playing. That happens sometimes where th- there, there is no, there is no Luca. There is no Giannis. There is no Jokic on a slate. We just don't have those guys to pay up for. And that's also when there's not as much need to really go cheap, but yeah, to the, the short answer where you said, yeah, it's going to, going to be dependent on the slate.
0: And the last thing I want to talk to you about, I think I'm going to do a whole show on this one with another, uh, you know, DFS, uh, uh pro out there. But when we're talking about, um, stacking, you know, is stacking, uh, and again, this has to be dependent on the slate probably, but, um, when you're stacking games, I mean, is that something that you, is that a, is that a thing that you do often is that you look at a game, you say, this game's got a really high total. It's got, you know, good pricing on both sides. I'm going to stack four, five, six guys from this one game, or, you know, is that not necessarily a long-term winning strategy?
1: So I stack a lot in baseball. I stack a lot in football, basketball, not really as much. So if it happens, cool, right? If I'm, if there's a lot of players that I project well from an individual game, which where it happens is. If there's an injury on both sides of the games, chances are there's a lot of players that project well from a points-per-dollar sense on both sides. And then when I'm running my lineups, I'm just going to get to stacks of that. But by and large part, basketball doesn't correlate in the same way as other DFS sports. If if Kevin Durant plays well tomorrow, it doesn't really have too much bearing on Ben Simmons playing well. In fact, oftentimes, uh, just using two random teammates as an example, if Donovan Mitchell has a big game, chances are Darius Garland didn't. Right, The only way that their scoring would really be all that correlated is if the game is played at an insanely high pace or it goes to an overtime or a double overtime. Usually, though, every time Donovan Mitchell takes a shot, it's one less shot Darius Garland is taking. Every time Donovan Mitchell gets an assist, it's one less assist that Darius Garland has. So for basketball purposes, I'm not really looking to stack because the player's production doesn't really positively correlate with each other. It's different for something like baseball. Every time somebody gets on base, there's extra extra attempts at bats for other players on the team. There's extra run scoring opportunities, extra extra RBI opportunities in football. Every time a quarterback throws a touchdown, well, one of his wide receivers is going to benefit. Also, there's hey. not, there's not really uh, an equal correlation for, for, for basketball.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you know, i I had that I had that thought before when I first started. I was like, you know what, this is stupid. There's only one basketball. There's only so many points in the game. Like, you want to probably pick and choose the best players from each game because that's probably the best way to do it. But um, you know, then then people are like, oh, you have to stack. And I was like, that just doesn't didn't make sense to me. So I'm uh, it gives me some confidence that uh, I've got something right at least. But that's gonna do it for us, Greg. Man, I am so happy to have you on here and i'm, I'm glad i got to ch- talk to you again i've been following you on twitter for a while now you guys should all follow greg on twitter for sure um go follow me on twitter too i'm at bspp keith but um you know hopefully we can get you on again sometime greg and um yeah, thank you for for coming on with us
1: yeah man absolutely anytime all
0: right